Well, as we continue looking here um, in Ephesians 4, we've been talking up until now, basically the idea of community and understanding that my individual growth as a Christian and uh, my individual, I guess, understanding of what it means to be a Christian needs to take place, take into consideration the idea of community, uh, the idea that I can't just be Christian by myself. I can't grow properly. I can't, I can't mature properly unless I have fellow brothers and sisters around me uh, that also encourage me, equip me, teach me, uh, challenge me, convict, and even rebuke me. Um, and that also I am for the other person. And so <clears throat> that's what we've been trying to emphasize here. But what I'm going to do here, and, and I've been spending a lot of time here in this passage, and we're going to start moving out, out of this passage and uh, probably wrap this, this series up here next Sunday. But what I'm going to do today is uh, just kind of move from an emphasis from the community aspect of this uh, series to an emphasis on now more practically the gifts. Okay. Uh, what, what those gifts are and uh, why Paul uses this word. And, and so if I were to ask you, well, what's your spiritual gift, right? Um, what, what would you do? Where would you go to look to see what those are? And, you know, in Ephesians chapter four, the passage just read, we, we see a few of them that Paul mentions here, uh, that the gifts here in verse 11, uh, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Uh, he gave people who had particular gifts and roles, uh, teaching, preaching, uh, sharing the gospel, so on and so forth. But there are other places in the Bible. If you wanted to look for what maybe a list of spiritual gifts could look like, um, you know, you go to Romans chapter 12, which we looked at a few weeks ago. And there in Romans chapter 12, verse 7, he talks about serving. He talks about teaching. Uh, he talks about exhortation, people who have a gift of exhortation. He talks about uh, giving, uh, giving as a gift, people who have a, a knack for giving and generosity. He talks about the gift of leadership uh, and, the, and even acts of mercy, people who are gifted in doing mercy, right? That's a, that's a list that some people look at. Um, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you see uh, even a more elaborate description of maybe a list of certain gifts, right? He said, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there's a variety of services, but the same Lord, a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers everyone. And he then mentions things like, you know, words of wisdom as a gift, words of knowledge, according to the spirit. He mentions even the more, I guess you could say, the more spiritual, the more miraculous gifts, such as gifts of healing, um, gifts to discern spirits, uh, gifts to discern various tongues, and even interpretation of, of those tongues. And that, for some of us, may sound a little confusing, but it's another source or another list of gifts. Um, you can go to First Peter, and in a broad way, he also mentions some gifts. He says, if you received a gift, use it to serve um, whoever speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves by the strength of God. So serving and, and speaking are all, in a sense, gifts. Right. And so <clears throat> you have various places in the Bible that talks about this. And one of the reasons that I'm emphasizing this is, is that it, it's, it seems to be important because the, the Bible seems to address these these issues in various places in the New Testament. Right. And, and you might be thinking, well, you know, the only reason Pastor Francis keeps talking about these things uh, is, is because, you know, it, gifts and using that word gifts, it's sort of a Christian way of, of saying or talking about skills and talents and abilities and, and, and strength. 
that are used to serve people, to do something good. And so basically it's just saying, you know what, we've all got some skill, we've all got some kind of ability, and so do something with it. Um, Use it, right? It's just Christianese way, you know, calling these things gifts, spiritual gifts to to get people to use what they've got to, to serve the church. Okay, and you know that that's not completely untrue, but it's it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that because not only does Paul emphasize these things in the Bible, uh, but the New Testament as a whole seems to address a lot of this as well. And so, I want to look at this passage and and give you at least four things, four things that we're going to look at here with what the Bible calls gifts, right, and why it uses that language. And first is we're going to look at the graciousness of gifts, the graciousness of gifts. Secondly, we're going to look at the preciousness of gifts, the preciousness of gifts. Thirdly, we'll look at the nature and the purpose of gifts, the nature or the character and purpose of gifts. And the last, more practically, how to find them, right? How to look them. So the graciousness of gifts, the preciousness of gifts, the nature and purpose of gifts, and how to find them. So let's look at this very carefully. The first point here that we're looking at here is what we really need to understand that many of us kind of already know, but always seem to forget, and that is this. There is a graciousness to the understanding of what Paul calls gifts. And we see that in verse 7, the way he talks about it. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift or the gift of Christ. And the language that he uses in talking about people's abilities and, and strengths and talents uh, is the, by using the word grace and using the word gift. And there's a reason for that, okay? There's a reason he calls gifts or, or, or things that we have as grace and not use the word like ability or not to use the word like skill. There's a reason he uses that, chooses to use that word. And here's the thing that we have to be reminded of. Christianity is never first what you do for God. Paul here is not saying this, neither am I, talking about gifts to get you to do something for God. It's never first what we do for God, okay? It's a response to what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, right? It's a response to what we call the gospel message, the good news. And that gospel message is bound up with that one word, grace. Grace. Grace, right? God calls him Self, the God of grace. The gospel is called the gospel of grace. Paul says we are saved by grace. Grace is at the heart of the gospel. Grace is an expression of what God does and how he does. And there's a reason that, God, that Paul deliberately uses that word to talk about our talents, gifts, abilities, whatever you want to call them. He uses the word grace. Each one of us, he says in verse 7, has been given that grace. And he's not talking about saving grace. He's talking about that particular thing for that particular individual, which God has given, right, by his grace to serve, to love, and to be. Now, let me give you a little definition of why that is important for us. Because grace, we know, generally speaking, it simply means something undeserved, right? Something unmerited, something even demerited. But here in this verse 7, what you see here is a working definition of grace. And grace for Paul, by definition here, is grace is an act of giving. It's an act of giving. 
And you see that here in verse 7. Each one of us has been given grace according to what? The measure of the gift. For Paul, grace always gives. It's an expression of how grace operates. It's the character of grace to give. Grace is not something that's dependent upon the receiver. It's dependent on who? The giver, the one who gives grace. And do you know what the ultimate act of of giving, I think Paul is thinking about, that defines grace? You know, it's not so much giving what I have to somebody who doesn't deserve it, but the ultimate picture of giving in the Bible is self-giving. The most gracious act in the Bible, the most gracious thing you could do is to give yourself. It's the act of self-giving. Now, how do I know this? Because in the Bible, when you look at it, the ultimate act of giving in the Bible happened when the God of grace gave himself to an undeserving people, to sinners like you and I. Grace in its most biblical form then is a self-giving of God to man. Grace is self-giving. And that's a big difference, isn't there, when you think about grace this way? Because on one level, uh, on one level of kindness and one level of grace, it, it, you, know, it, you know, you give something that you have to someone who didn't deserve it, right? But it's a totally different issue, isn't it? It's a totally different level to give someone yourself who maybe don't or doesn't deserve it. That's everything, isn't it? And the only relationship, the only situation, one of the things I could think of that displays this, that ought to display this, is in marriage. When you marry someone, right, you are, in fact, giving yourself to another person. That's why when we pick out a partner to marry, that we should be picky. Hope you are. Hope you're, hope you're selective. Hope you're discerning when you find that partner or if you found your partner. You don't just give yourself to anybody. Right. And, and finding that person then becomes a long and sometimes arduous process. And unless you've, you've got some problem where you're just going to take anybody that you could get, basically, you're trying to find somebody that you don't just want to give a little bit of your money to, a little bit of your time to, or even of your attention to. You're finding someone who you feel you want to give yourself to, someone that deserves you. Right. And that's why it's such a big decision. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Sometimes, even after you've made that decision, grace still is involved. You know, here's what I mean. You know, uh, my, my daughter, Mia, I don't know if she's online, but, you know, I don't really care because I'm going to talk about her. But, you know, she's going to go away to college in the fall. And, you know, our kids are growing up fast. You know, when we come to see each other in person and when we see our children, I think we're going to be surprised and shocked how tall and how big and how old or older, uh, you know, our children have gotten. And, you know, when I think about Mia, one day, you know, my daughter's going to get married, right? She's going to find that someone. And here's, here's my thinking. No one deserves my daughter. All right? Mia, do you hear that? No one deserves. No one deserves my daughter. But one day after she's made that decision, after she's made that decision to find someone who she thinks is worthy, she might feel later on in her marriage, oh, he's not that worthy. Oh, yeah, he doesn't really deserve me. And it's at that point then, even in that relationship, that it can't just be her love. It needs to be gospel love. It just can't be her, 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 her grace. It needs to be Christian grace. 
to the one that she had committed to, right? A self-giving to someone who sometimes just doesn't really deserve it. That's gospel love. It's self-giving. And so when you think of that situation to our relationship with God, you, it, you really need to understand this. You're looking at God and God's looking down at you and you're saying to God, God, you saw me and all you saw was an ugly sinner. What in the world made you want to give yourself to me? And that's an act of grace. It's a self-giving act of grace. Friends, this idea of grace is a picture of Christianity that, that the world really needs to see if they're ever going to believe what we got is real. Because the world tends to look at us as people who always want to receive rather than give. And they'll never comprehend the God of grace if they see a whole bunch of Christians who are always just trying to receive rather than give. And so God here is a God of grace who self-gives to us, who puts us in his life, who gives us his kingdom, who gives us his inheritance, who gives us his riches and his kindness. It's a completely gracious, self-giving act. Now here, why am I saying all this? Because now, if you know that there's a God who gives and a Christ who gives and the spirit who gives, then you shouldn't be surprised when you read verse 7 that now because of this, Grace was given to each one of us because of the self-giving of Christ. If you've been given the gift of Christ by grace, then you need to look at verse 7 and you need to believe that you, each and every one of us, have also been, along with Christ, given a particular spiritual gift. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And some of you here might be saying, you know, well, you know, I know what you're saying, Pastor Francis, but I just think about it and, and there's, there's nothing I can offer. I've, I've got nothing to offer, right? Or, or I, I, I don't know, I, I just really, I don't think I could do anything. But here's what Paul's trying to say. If you have Jesus Christ, if you've been given Christ himself, it means you have something. You have something. Maybe it's undiscovered. Maybe it's latent. Maybe something huge, right? Big. Or maybe it's something small. But by grace given to you, you and I, we all have something that God has given us, equipped us with for the sake of our growth and our brother and sister's growth and maturity. And that's why he uses the word grace. Gifts are gracious, okay? But the second point that we need to understand about spiritual gifts here is this. When you read verses 8 and 9 in our passage, this is what Paul says. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In the saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This, this is kind of confusing. You know, Paul, when he writes, he, it's always kind of putting everything together. And sometimes his thoughts, he just kind of speaks from the heart and from the hip. But what's he talking about? This ascending and descending, uh, you know, going up and going down so that he might fill all things. Well, here's the thing. Listen carefully. Okay. Just stay with me for a little bit. He is referring to a passage in the Old Testament from Psalm chapter 68, okay? And if you were to study Psalm chapter 68, you would see that in it, 
in verse 18, it used the same language. He says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. And if you were to study that passage, you would see that that psalm is talking about God, giving a picture of God like that of a hero. That in verse 1 of Psalm 68, it it seems that God goes out like a king to to make war on his enemies. He wins, and then after he's victorious, he would ride up on this big hill, and behind him, he would have two things. He would have the riches of his spoils, and he would have led captivity captive. What does that mean? It means he recaptured the captives. That many times other nations uh, had Israelites in prison. So many times the kings of Israel, when they conquered a nation, they freed those captives and they brought them back to their own land. Do you see this? He, so the, the picture in Psalm 68, he, God goes out to battle. He comes back victorious. He's all bloody, but he's done the work. It's finished. And now he's brought back with him his own people who are now free. And so Psalm 68, it's a celebration honoring this God, this king. And at the end of verse 8, people are praising him and giving gifts to this king. That's the picture in Psalm 68. Now, when you look at Ephesians chapter 4, Paul uses this picture, a picture of a great victory. And he's thinking of not God in the Old Testament. He's thinking of Jesus Christ. He's equating God with Jesus Christ. But Jesus, his fight was not some nation, but it was things over like sin and death and hell and Satan. And so that when Jesus died on a cross, he entered into battle with sin and death and he won that battle. And it looked like he lost because he was dying on a cross, but he was the winner. And after the cross, he comes back up as it were. He ascends, right? All the way to the right hand of the Father. And behind him, he had the spirit oils of his battle, and he led captivity captive. He set free his people from the bondage of sin and death and hell and all these things. That's the picture I think Paul's thinking about when he's writing this and quoting Psalm 68. But here's a big difference. There's a big difference from Psalm 68. Because in Psalm 68, it says, when the king ascends on high, when God ascends on high, people gave gifts to him. Paul changes that in Ephesians 4. And he says, when Jesus ascended right to the Father, he gave gifts to men. Okay? He, is, he, he descended. He came into this earth. He paid the price. He did the work. He ascends to the Father now. And then he gives gifts to men. Now, listen carefully. Why am I telling you all this? Why am I saying all this? Okay, here, here's the thing. Um, I went to Catholic high school uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. We lived there for a few years, and I went there for ninth grade. And we wore slacks and button-down and a tie every day. And, and I had this friend in, in ninth grade, this skinny, quiet kid, you know, uh, really shy, much, much like me when I, was his age, when I was there as well. Never said much, but we had gym class together. And uh, one of the requirements for gym class is you had to bring your own clothes and shoes, you know, your gym shoes. And... Back then, everyone had Nike, right? Everyone had Nike shoes, the Jordans and, and, and the Air Max and whatever. I mean, I had my Air Max. We, we would all bring our gym shoes to, to school and, and wear them. And, and it was a little, little bit of bragging rights. But this kid, this friend of mine, he wore Pumas. You remember Pumas are? I think they're still around. But back then, nobody wore Pumas, right? Everybody wore Nikes. 
And the thing is, this 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 kid, after gym class, after every gym class, uh, he would take his pumas to the bathroom and he would wipe it down. He would wash it down with wet toilet paper to get all the dirt off, right? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, he must really love those pumas, but but pumas suck. You know, what's the big deal? And the other guys, you know, they, they saw that and, and they just couldn't get it because we all had Nikes. This guy's trying to wear Pumas and he's like cleaning them every day, you know, and they're kind of giggling behind his back. Some of them, you know, even kind of making fun of him, you know. And and uh, one day after gym class, um, after I got out, changed back into my clothes, there was a big fight that broke out. And this quiet, skinny little kid had this bigger guy in his hand, he grabbed his tie and he was just punching him, just punching him, just wailing at him really hard. The teachers had to come in and break it up. And, and we were shocked. We were shocked because this kid was so quiet and all of a sudden he's in a fight. But we were also shocked because he was strong and he was just beating the crap out of this big kid. And, and I got to talk to him afterwards and he was so angry. And I was thinking, you know, what happened? Why did you get into the fight? And apparently some of these guys were kind of making fun of his shoes, right? And they're kind of, you know, putting him down and he got so angry, he just let loose. And this is what he said, almost, I think, to the point of tears, as he was so angry. And he says this to me, and I still remember this. He says, I know they're not the best shoes. I know they're just pumas. But my mom, my mom brought them for me. My mom bought it for me. And then we didn't know at the time, but, you know, he was having a tough time because he was living in a single parent home. His mom was supporting everything. She was waitressing at a, at a large restaurant and, you know, they, they were having a hard time just making ends meet. And his mom had to save up weeks to get him gym equipment for school, including those shoes. And so for this kid, the, the, the shoes were precious to him. Not because they were pumas and they were just shoes. It was precious to him because of his mom and what it took for her to work and to give those shoes and those clothes to him for class. Do you see the point I'm trying to make here? It was Jesus' act on a cross, descending from heaven to earth, to live this life, to pay a price, to finish that work on a cross, so that on the third day he would ascend to the Father, it was that work that allowed him to be the one who could give us the gifts that he gave. And what I'm saying is this, that if you understand the gospel this way, you cannot treat the spiritual gift that you have, or that you're not sure you have, you cannot treat the gifts he's given lightly when you contemplate what price it costs for Jesus to grant you that privilege. It's precious what he gives because what it took in order to give. Just as you and I are precious to him because of what it took for him to gain us, Paul says, Jesus had to descend from heaven to earth, experience, endure pain and suffering and sin all the way to the cross so that he could be raised on the third day, ascend to the right hand of the Father in order to set you and I free, bring us home, call us his precious sons and daughters and give us gifts by grace. That's what it took. 
And the question we have to ask is this, do you see yourself this way? Precious, because God does. God sees you that way. But do you also see your abilities, your blessings, your strengths, your things you have as precious? Because God does. And he's given you things that took him a lot to give them to you. So don't take them lightly. Because it was by his victory on the cross that he gained the right to rule his own church. To be the one who fills all in all, as Paul says in our passage. It was there on the cross that he had the right to call you his own. It was there on the cross where he gained the right also to give you these, what he calls, spiritual gifts. And so here, what we see here is this. It's more than just, well, you know, we need people to serve and we need people to do something. So let's talk about gifts. No, it, it's more. It, it's, it's about stewardship. That whatever that is, whatever skill, whatever talent, whatever ability, whatever personality or disposition, it isn't just there by accident. And it isn't yours. It was given to you by God, by his grace, considered precious and meant to be used for him and for his people. Okay? So there's the graciousness of gifts. And there's the preciousness of gifts. Now, thirdly here, we look at here, there's and this, and that's the nature and the purpose of gifts. And I'm just going to go over this quickly. But, you know, this is something that we need to broaden here over the passage of the New Testament. But there are four things about what gifts are. Okay? We've talked about one already. They're gracious. All gifts are by grace. But the second thing is they're spiritual. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he talks about gifts, and Paul says it's a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, I know when we think about spiritual gifts, some of us are thinking about, you know, the, like the charismatic thing and, and, and all these, you know, hyper-spiritual, whatever, you know, you, you're not familiar with, and it kind of makes you uncomfortable. But really, it's not really that uncomfortable because Paul's using the word Spirit with a capital S, meaning he's referring to the Holy Spirit, meaning that whatever it is that God has given to you, Given to you in the spirit means God's using that. So whatever God uses in you is a spiritual gift, okay? Now, we won't address more than that. That could, we, we need to probably say for a Bible study. But the third thing about gifts, not only are they gracious and spiritual, but there are two types of gifts. Either they're word gifts or they're deed gifts, okay? So you look at First Peter chapter 4 where he talks about gifts, and he says this. Use gifts to serve one another as God's stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, serves by the strength of God, right? Um, Romans chapter 12. If in service, you serve. If you're in teaching, teach. So basically, we have two divisions. You have either word gifts, speaking, encouraging, exhortation, teaching, preaching, and then you have deed gifts, serving, right, feeding, uh, you know, mercy, um, hospitality. These are deed gifts. So their gifts are gracious, they're spiritual, and they're also either word or deed. And last but not least here in, uh, here in, our, in our understanding is this, and the most important, spiritual gifts, whatever they are, the goal is others. Ephesians chapter 4 in our passage, he talks about spiritual gifts, and he says, use them until we all attain the unity of the faith. Romans chapter 12, Paul, as he talks about gifts, he says, we have many in one body, but as we have many in body, we are members of one another. Use your gifts for others. First Peter chapter 4, as we just mentioned, Peter was much more clear. As each has received a gift, use it 
to what? Serve one another. First Corinthians chapter 12, even the talk of the more miraculous and spiritual gifts, he says this, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for what? The common good. And so the fourth thing about spiritual gifts is this. It's not just given for you, for your own benefit, whatever that is. The goal of spiritual gift is others. And so that means that no one here can say, hey, here's my gift. Look what I could do. It ought to be, hey, here's my gift. Look what I could do for you. That's what a gift is. And it contributes to unity, to maturity, and growth as you and I utilize our gifts for one another, okay? That's what it is. It's gracious, it's spiritual, it's word or deed, and it's for the sake of others. Now, let me get to the last point here, as we understand this. The gifts are gracious, the gifts are precious, right? The gifts have character and purpose. Now, what do we do? What if I don't know what they are, okay? How do I discern the gifts? And a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and Christians like to use these tests, these inventory tests, you know, similar to like personality tests. And, and it's kind of fun. You fill out all these answers and you feel, hey, this is what I have or this is what I don't have. And, and um, you know, it might be helpful. I, I personally don't like them because there are a couple of problems with them, I think. One is it assumes that you know yourself quite well. You're answering these questions for yourself. So you think you know yourself pretty well, but maybe many of us don't. So it may not be an accurate thing. But the second problem is this. As much as spiritual gifts are important, and as you're going through all these tests and trying to figure it out, here's the thing. We don't want to be gift-obsessed. We want to be Christ-possessed, Christ-centered people, not gift-centered. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians in a lot of church who tend to be gift focused. That's all they want to talk about, all they want to do, right? And so they're always doing these spiritual gift inventories or questionnaires, you know, ticking off the boxes to determine what gifts they have. And they say, hey, this is me. And that's the end of it. We don't want to be gift obsessed people. We want to be Christ obsessed, Christ possessed, Christ centered people. And the way we discover our gifts here basically is this, all right? That the way we ought to do it is this. Three things I want you to think about. Affinity, ability, and then opportunity. Affinity means what moves me? What interests me? What passions do I have? What are they? Ability is what am I good at? Or what do people think I'm good at or say that I'm good at? And opportunity is well, what doors of service are open right now? What are the needs that need to be done? And so you look at all three things, and when all three things come together, then you know what moves you, you know what you're good at, you know there's an opportunity. Oftentimes, it's a good sign that you should probably go in that direction, that this is your gift, or this is your thing that you've been called to do. And this method here, you know, it's typical, but it's finding a job, find, uh, making major life decisions, but we apply it into the church as well. And how do we do that? And I've said this before, start with opportunity. What there is there that needs to be done? If you want to discover your gifts, right, find out what needs to be done and do them. Do them. Don't get caught up with affinity. Think about what you're passionate about because you might miss latent passions. You might miss latent gifts that you weren't aware of. 
Don't just go with your proven abilities, you know, what you think you're good at, your natural talents, what you do at work, because God might not use your talents that you use at work in your church. And also, you might not know the hidden gifts you might have or what you're good at unless you do a lot of different things. But if you want to be more practical, look for opportunities. Here's why. Because Christ-centered people, not gift-centered, Christ-centered people are service-minded. And they don't just sit around saying, well, you know, I, I, I see the need over there, but that's just not my gift. Christ-centered people say this, well, I see the need over there, and I don't know if I can make a difference, but I'm willing to serve, and I'm willing to help. How can I do that? And then they throw themselves at these opportunities, at these needs, they seek to serve, and then the gifts become more clear. They become more discerned, or they become more sharpened or honed. And so the practical way that if you want to find or discover your gifts in this way, plug the gaps in the church. Do what needs to be done, and you'll find out your affinities, and you'll find out your abilities. Okay? This is just a little tip here, but let me just end with this. Whatever you are, it is, wherever you are with the gifts and these ideas of gifts, just remember this. Before you start looking or using your gifts, never forget the gift that Paul talks about in chapter, or in chapter 4, verse 7 here. The gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Never forget him first, who came not to be served, but to serve. And he served you with his life and his death. So whatever your gifts are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're not doing, whatever gifts you think you don't have, remember this. You have the gift of God himself given to you by grace, and that can never be taken away. You are precious to him. And because of that, he says to us, all of us, each and every one of us, that we have been given a gift by his grace and we are to trust in him, okay? Let us be motivated in response to the gospel, in serving and doing, and not the other way around. Let's pray.